to see the herd of children wandering to the back. I love that. I don't know if you know, I know, I, I think I've said this before, what, what Killian calls church. He's, he calls it playing with friends. He gets to, oh, can I go play with friends tomorrow? So I love that. He's got a bunch of friends to hang out with and enjoy life and learn about Jesus with. So um, my voice inflections are going up and down. So we'll find out what's going on. If you could learn one skill, what would it be? I don't know if you ever watched The Matrix, but that came out like when I was just finishing high school. And uh, I remember, you know, he needed to learn how to fly a helicopter. And so they just basically like downloaded a skill into his brain. And it was like instantly he knew how to fly a helicopter. So if you could like down, go home and download a skill into your brain, what would it be? What would be that skill that you would want to learn? Learning maybe an instrument. Maybe you see these guys up here worshiping and playing an instrument, and it's like, wow, I'd love to be able to play whatever instrument. Maybe learn how to sing. Uh, that's one of mine. That would be great that I could say, do something with my voice that didn't make people make faces. Uh, how about how to do your taxes? Anybody would love that skill this time of year, being able to do your own instead of shelling out money? Or I do like TurboTax or whatever, so I hope they know what they're doing. Uh, but yeah, no, knowing how to do your taxes, that's, that's a skill. How about being a mechanic? Any of you have problems, you know, because it's always fun to go into the garage and make the noise that the car is making, and they get to laugh at you as you make that noise. Um, and you could just fix it at home. Like, if you could just download any skill, what would it be? I don't know if any of you are watching the Olympics right now, uh, but when you watch what some of the athletes all over the world are capable of, wouldn't you love to be able to do some of what they can do? Some of the flips and the, the speed and the agility. I mean, except for the curling team, because that just looks like a bunch of guys in their garage, like messing around with this big weight, you know. Uh, they're, they're, the most, they're my favorite athletes of the Olympics. But uh, other than them guys, uh, the skills that you see present, I mean, I don't know. I, for me, it's like, man, that would be really cool to be able to do something like that, to have that kind of skill. Well, there was a time that the disciples watched Jesus do something that he had actually done a lot. Uh, he did this a lot, and I believe that it was because of the power that they noticed came from this behavior that they asked Jesus to teach them how to do the same thing. I don't know if you've ever asked somebody to teach you how to do something. You saw maybe their proficiency at it, their skill at it. Um, maybe it was like a pride thing. You saw how people respected them, and so you wanted to learn how to be able to do that thing. Um, and so you asked, hey, can you teach me how to do that? Um, it takes a little bit of a humbling posture to do that, uh, except when you can tell the person you're asking to teach you is somebody of exceptional ability in that area, then it's like, oh, well, yeah, it's pretty easy. This person's so good at this, it's easy for me to ask, hey, can you teach me how to do that? Because they're just fantastic at it. So they asked Jesus this question to teach them, and we find this uh, opening up in Luke chapter 11, verse 1. I'll be reading from the New Living Translation if you want to follow along on your own, or you can just follow along on the screen. It says, once Jesus was in a certain place praying, as he finished, one of his disciples came to him and said, Lord, Teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples. One of the things, if you read the Gospels, which I would encourage you, if you, if you don't do a Bible in a year plan, man, download the YouVersion Bible app 
and pick a plan. You can join us in ours or you can do your own, but read your Bible. Every day, read your Bible. Uh, But if you read through the Gospels, you'll notice something about Jesus' life. There's something he does a lot of, and it's called prayer. Jesus prays a lot. Why do you think that was? Have you ever stopped and thought about it? Jesus is God. So why does he spend so much time and energy in an activity that kind of equates to him talking to himself? He's talking to God, who he is. But he's talking to God the Father, another part of the Godhead, but he himself is God. Now, without getting into all the deep theology of whether or not Jesus emptied himself of all of his godly attributes or what he had access to as both Jesus, 100% man and 100% God, praying, some would argue, wasn't necessary for Jesus. He had access to all the knowledge the Father had, but I would argue he chose not to uh, allow himself to have all of that knowledge, and I think there's a reason for that. Jesus lived his life as an example for all to follow. A lot of what Jesus did, he did to show others this is what it looks like to live a vibrant, healthy Christian life. So Jesus engaged in a lot of activities to show his disciples this is what you should be doing. And so, I think when you look at the life of Jesus and you see how much He prays, how often He makes a a point to be away with the Father, you can't walk away from that with any other understanding of, okay, this is something Jesus really, really wanted His disciples to get. This is a behavior He really wanted the disciples to adopt. He wanted us to model our lives after his, and so he prayed all the time. So much so, the disciples noticed there is something to his praying. It's not the same as everybody else, enough so that they ask him to teach them how to do it. Here's a question. I don't know if you ever thought about this. Do, did the disciples know how to pray? They grew up in Judaism, I can guarantee you they knew how to pray. Have you ever asked somebody to teach you something you already knew how to do, they just knew how to do it better than you? That is actually a a more humbling thing, to know, like, I have this skill, but man, it doesn't look like that. It doesn't look anything like that. Like, I don't know if if you've ever seen me draw. Uh, It's about as good as my singing. But if like somebody like Christian or Richard Durr were to offer me art classes, trust me, I'd take them because I can draw. I do stick figures still, uh, and I have no shame about that. But I can't draw for anything. But if somebody who had that greater skill, and it's something I, I wanted to do, then by all means, I would certainly ask, hey, teach me how to do this because I know how to do this, but not at the level that you do. I've seen your work. I've seen what you can do. And it's so far beyond my capacity, I need to learn how to do that. And I believe that's what we're seeing in the disciples here when they ask Jesus to teach them how to pray. I think sometimes we think like, oh, these knuckleheads, they had no idea how to pray. Oh, no, they did. They actually had a lot of examples around them. They grew up in a culture that pursued God. So they saw prayer. It was demonstrated to them. They were most likely engaged in prayer 
But the way Jesus did it, man, it was different. They probably knew a model of prayer, but there was something different about the way that Jesus prayed and the way the religious leaders prayed. As a matter of fact, Jesus specifically tells the disciples not to pray like the hypocrites, as he calls them. In Matthew chapter 6, verses 5 and 6, it says, when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites who love to pray publicly on street corners and in the synagogues where everyone can see them. I tell you the truth, that is all the reward they will ever get. But when you pray, go away by yourself, shut the door behind you, and pray to your Father in private. Then your Father, who sees everything, will reward you. Another question. I like questions. What's the reward? It says here, if you go and pray, if you make your life a life of prayer, it says then your Father who sees everything will reward you. What's the reward? Money? Fame? Significance? A lot of us, if we're honest, we'd love that to be the reward because that's what we seek in our inner being. We want fame. We want power. We want respect. We want money. But that's not the reward that's here. I can't say definitively this is the reward, but I can tell you one thing, one reward, it's His presence. If you've ever been in His presence, if you've spent time in the presence of God, through a significant prayer life. Man, there is nothing that compares to that. There's no drug, there's no movie, there's no hobby that can give you that feeling of being in the presence of Almighty God and knowing that He's there with you and He's ministering to you and, he, and you're, you're having a conversation with Him. I know I shared last week about how Jackie and I met online and, and how it was, you know, it was, it was a cool thing that happened there. But I can tell you, uh, when I first messaged Jackie on, it was an online dating site, uh, I had zero expectation that I was going to get a message back because I saw some of her profile, I saw her pictures, and I thought, this girl's not just out of my league, like we're not even playing the same sport. So uh, I had no expectation of a message back from her. And yet she talked to me. She responded to me. And man, if you've never had that feeling with God, it's it's on a far greater scale. I love my wife, but uh, God's on a far greater scale to know that you get to sit with him and he'll actually talk to you. He'll respond. And you can have this relationship, this conversation with the God who created everything. And yet many, I might say most Christians, take that for granted and say, ah, no big deal. Some of us, same thing with our spouses. Uh, I'll just speak to the guys now. Guys, uh, I can say this with confidence. All of you should have been excited that your wives were willing to talk to you (laughs) uh, at some point in your life. Some of us have taken that for granted. And probably rightfully so. We've spent so much time with our spouse that we don't necessarily think like, oh my goodness, I woke up and she talked to me. If you did, I do marriage counseling. If you're surprised that your spouse is actually speaking to you, uh, come talk to me. But we, we do. We, we kind of take that for granted after a while. That, uh, that Wow, this person is actually engaging. They're looking me in the eyes and they're speaking to me. They said more than a word to me. And yet we get to sit with God, spend time with Him. At any moment that we want, we have that ability. We have that, that relationship is open to us. See, this 
Scripture here is an obvious encouragement toward private personal prayer. That should be the foundation of our prayer life. If the majority of our prayer life is one that is in public, it's out of balance. Jesus was clear here. This is where prayer should begin. This is where this journey starts. Not in front of everybody else, but in the quiet place with Jesus. And it doesn't have to be in a closet. It doesn't have to be in a closed-off room. It could be on a mountaintop or in a kayak, but whatever that might look like for you to, to, to be quiet. The majority of our prayer life should be a private one, but there is a definite place for corporate prayer. The church and its uh, activity and uh, the way that it was birthed made it very clear that uh, corporate prayer is also a powerful uh, thing as well. So this morning, we're going to look at how to do both of those things, some, some tips and pointers on how to have a vibrant prayer life. As we already looked at in Matthew, Jesus himself encourages private prayer. So the first step to a healthy prayer life, I'm going to give you a few steps to a healthy private prayer life. First one is get alone get alone. Jesus modeled this often. Again, anything Jesus did, he did with purpose. Jesus wasn't an accidental kind of guy. He was a purposeful action type person. What he did, there was a reason behind it. And so when Jesus repeatedly performs a behavior, when Jesus does something many, many, many times, I think it's very clear this is something. He's saying something by doing this so much. Look at Mark chapter 1, verse 35. It says, Before daybreak the next morning, Jesus got up and went out to an isolated place to pray. Mark 6, 46. After telling everyone goodbye, he went up into the hills by himself to pray. Luke 5, 16. But Jesus often withdrew to the wilderness for prayer. Matthew 14, 23. After sending them home, he went up into the hills by himself to pray. Night fell while he was there alone. This was a frequent behavior of Jesus. Some of us, we are social butterflies or we're extroverts. Uh, and by we, I don't mean myself. Some people think I'm an extrovert, but I'm not really that much of an extrovert. But some of you are. You love to be around people. Or your life situation just makes it very difficult to get alone. I think of my wife and the way she leads our home, and uh, she doesn't get a whole lot of alone time. So I understand that for some of us it's a choice. For others, it's, it's more difficult to get alone, but that doesn't excuse us from the responsibility of needing to get alone. Jesus did this often. He made, he made space for it. Think, if you look at Jesus' life, if you think through the eyes maybe of the disciples, there are hundreds at times, thousands of people that gather to be healed. People who are dealing with legitimate stuff, leprosy, broken bones, deformities that make them disabled in a culture that really didn't cater to disabled people. And he leaves them, he walks away from them to be alone, to pray. That is making a statement in Jesus' life. When he departs from the crowds at times to go and be alone and pray, to have a prayer life that, that he neglects what some would say is, is important ministry in order to pray. It says to me, Jesus found this of vital importance. He knew, as we talked about in our abiding series, that abiding 
part of our Christian walk. You cannot replace that with anything else. So many Christians, so many people who have been in the spotlight, who have done amazing ministry for God, they don't finish well because they forget that sometimes you need to walk away from the crowds and you need to be alone. If you neglect that part, I don't care how gifted you are, I don't care how talented you are, I don't care how high your capacity is for ministry and for people, you will fail if we're not getting alone to be with our Savior, to be with Jesus. So whatever the circumstances of your life are, get alone. That's the first step to a healthy, vibrant prayer life. There have to be moments. I can't remember. Now, the, the name is, is escaping me. So if, if some of you recognize the story, tell me. There was a, a wife uh, who, she had so many kids and she could never get alone, so she would throw the apron over her head. And her kids knew that was leave me alone time. She was spending some time with Jesus. And that was the best she could do. But her kids knew on threat of death, you don't bother mom when the apron was over her head. And I, the name is escaping me who that was. But man, that was somebody who she made the time. I had very little capacity there, but she made it happen because it was so important for her to get alone with Jesus. So get alone. And the second is be still. I don't know about you, but I know I can get alone and not be still at the same time. I can get alone and be way more distracted than I was when I was with people. So it's get alone, but also be still. This doesn't mean not to move. Uh, if you sat me in a chair in a closet, I promise you the last thing I'd be doing is having a great spiritual conversation with Jesus. I would freak out in, in a room like that. I need to be outside. That's where I can be still. Do what makes your heart and your mind still. That's why for me, sitting on a kayak on a river Man, that's some of the best conversations I'll have with Jesus. Because my mind and my heart are still. I'm at peace, perfect peace in that place. And I can talk to God, and, and I'm not distracted by all the little things because there's just, there's just something about that environment. So it's the encouragement here of being still is doing what makes your heart and your mind still. For some of you, that's an activity. That's bicycling or maybe going on a run. I don't know, some of you like to run. I don't understand it. But some of you do. For some of you, that's probably some. I knew, I knew a guy who, that was the best times with Jesus. He'd finish his runs by running in the house and writing down everything that God had said like while he was on his run and making sure he got it all down because he would just have the most beautiful times with Jesus. I have times with Jesus when I'm running, but they're not good times with Jesus. They're, they're desperate prayers for life and breath. But I would argue in that environment, you're alone and your heart and your mind are still. For some of you, whatever that looks like. For some it is, it's sitting in a closet. It's going into a, a quiet, dark place and that's where you can be quiet and that's where you can be still, then do it. In Psalm 131, verses one to two, it says, Lord, my heart is not proud. My eyes are not haughty. I don't concern myself with matters too great or too awesome for me to grasp. Instead, I have calmed and quieted myself. Like a weaned child who no longer cries for its mother's milk. Yes, like a weaned child is my soul within me. This importance of quieting yourself. Calming and quieting yourself. Psalm 37, 7. Be still in the presence of the Lord and wait patiently for Him to act. Don't worry about evil people who prosper or fret about their wicked schemes. 
See, sometimes in our prayer life, we can get so worked up about what's going on in, in our culture, what's going on in our lives, what's going on all around us. We, we have to combat the evil. We have to do all, and our heart just isn't still. Because when we enter the presence of God, we feel like there's so much injustice that we have to bring before him. I don't know if you've ever, parents, you've ever had that, where your kids just come in and they're so, like they got that frantic energy and it's like you can't understand anything they're saying because they're talking a thousand miles a minute and there's just like, you just like, please, just stop. Just, just be still. I know I've only got like a four and a half year old and a one and a half, but we've had those moments where it's like, okay, everybody just needs to stop moving for a moment. And sometimes we enter the presence of God that way and it's like, man, how much relationship is being cultivated in that? And we just sometimes need to walk in and just be still in his presence, knowing he's got all of this covered. And we might be really worked up about something, but he has it together. That's why uh, we've talked in the past, and we will again, about the Jesus model of prayer, and we walk through like the different rooms of Jesus' model of prayer. And man, it's, to me, it's so calming. It has such a, such a powerful effect as if we follow Jesus' model of prayer, because it reminds us of so many things before we ever get to the I want part, or I need to tell you this part. There's just so much there. I don't know if you've ever dealt with somebody that was in like a frantic mode and the power of just grabbing that person and hugging them and, and almost forcing a stillness over them. Man, that, that's so much more powerful than what a lot of things we could do is. And sometimes that's what we, what we need from God as we come into his presence, just to allow him to wrap his arms around us and just hold us for a moment as we just take a breath and be still. So get alone, be still, and don't be so concerned with exactly what to say. I don't know if any of you, how many of you are verbal processors, but I am. I need to process things out loud. Uh, A lot of things I, I need to work through just by having somebody I can bounce ideas off with. And I have a few people in my life that I know I can call them and I can process with them or I can sit over a cup of coffee with them and process with them. And I don't need to really worry about how I'm saying or how I'm presenting it or my attitude or, or the, my demeanor as I do this because they know I'm a verbal processor and they know I can kind of process with them in that, in that way. And that's a beautiful thing because I'm, not, I'm more concerned about getting things out and, and processing them than I am about the words that I'm saying. And with God, and some of us, sometimes we sit with God and we're so concerned with the way that we say things. I know uh, one of my grandmothers, uh, one time she, she showed me this like list of prayers that she had. And it's like, and the way that she viewed these, it was almost like a witchcraft kind of thing. Like these were incanta- incantations that she would use for God. And some of us have those where it's like, well, if you want God to do this, you have to say these words. And man, that is the exact opposite of what Jesus tells us to. He says, man, don't, don't worry about all the words. Stop, stop worrying about saying all the right things. Just spend time with me. Just be with me. And we can get really worked up uh, wondering, am I praying the right way? Am I saying the right thing? Are, are just the right words coming out? And to me, that's, that's such a feeble way to view God that he can only hear your words and can't actually hear your thoughts in your heart. Because that's exactly what's happening in that moment. He sees so far beyond just the words that we say. Uh, 
and he sees into our spirit, into, into our heart, and he knows where our heart is coming from. So even, uh, I don't know if you have those friends or those people in your life where you know you're not saying the right things, but they just get it. They just understand what you're saying. Uh, you've seen me share a few Jackie-isms, and it's one of my many gifts. I, I say sometimes I have the gift of tongues because uh, I can sometimes interpret what's being said, uh, even though it's not even close to what uh, she means. But we have those people. I hope you have those people where you can, you're saying stuff and you know you're not going to go in the right direction, but they're just getting it. They're there with you. And God is so far beyond that. So as you sit with him and you're worried about like, man, am I saying this just the right way? God is saying, man, just keep, just keep it coming. Just, just pour your heart out to me. Romans 8, 26 and 27 has this beautiful idea of, of how we pray, when we pray, what happens that's so far beyond us. It says, and the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. For example, we don't know what God wants us to pray for, but the Holy Spirit prays for us with groanings that cannot be expressed in words. And the Father who knows all hearts knows what the Spirit is saying, for the Spirit pleads for us believers in harmony with God's own will. And what, what a blessing this is, because it's telling us if you're a believer, it means you have the Holy Spirit inside of you. He dwells in you. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And through that connection, even though we sometimes aren't praying the right words and we just feel frustrated because we're not getting our, our thoughts conveyed through words, we can rest in the assurance that the Holy Spirit is going beyond that for us and, and pleading for us and, and, and things that cannot be explained through words. So don't be intimidated by those around you whose prayers sound really good. Have you ever been in, I don't know if you've ever been in one of those prayer meetings where like that person is just, you know, eloquently talking to God and it just sounds amazing and you're like, I don't know, what am I supposed to do after that? You're supposed to pray. It doesn't matter how fancy their words are. That means nothing before God. And that might just be the way they communicate. That's fine. That might not be a show. It might not be a pride thing. It just might be that's how they talk, and that's, that's totally fine. So just ignore that. That's their, that's their conversation with God. Best you can do is agree with them in prayer, and then you pray if you're in a corporate prayer setting but especially in this private setting, I promise you God isn't sitting there saying, well, that sounded weird. That, that wasn't proper English. He's, that's not where he's at. Or, oh, man, they don't know a lot of big theological terms. Maybe I shouldn't answer this prayer. It's not at all where God is. Kiara, our little girl, she, she knows a few words. But, man, she loves to talk. And most of it's babble that nobody can understand. But when she does that, I love it. Like it warms my heart. Not because of the words she says, because I have no idea what she's saying. But because I can tell that she wants to communicate with me. That's the blessing in that, of a father to their child. It's not that she is, you know, pontificating eloquently with all of her amazing vocabulary. And best she's got is like, more give me more. I mean, she's got that word down. But she just makes these noises, and I just love it. Now, I'll, I'll do it with her. I'll make ridiculous noises with her, and we go back and forth. We have this whole ridiculous conversation without words, and I, it warms my heart so much. That's how God stands before you. He's like, man, just 
make some noises, whatever. I can see your heart. I can tell what you're saying. And it means more to me that you want to communicate with me, that you're here in this place making the effort to communicate. That's what's important in this moment. So get alone. Be still. Don't be so concerned with what exact, exactly what to say. And talk and listen. That's part of prayer. They're both part of prayer. It's not much of a relationship if we do all the talking. If we're the only ones that ever speak, we sit down with God and we say everything we want to say and we walk away. I don't know if you've ever been in one of those uh, arguments with a person or a, a spouse and it's very clear they want to say what they want to say and then they, they want to be out of there. They want to say their piece and be gone. Not my favorite kind of conversation, honestly, because it's not a conversation. It's a very one-way thing. I don't, we probably have all had that friend that when... They called us. We knew it wasn't because they wanted to like, get together and, and share life. It's because they, they had something they wanted to tell us or they, had, they wanted to process with us or they wanted that. It wasn't for the relationship. And some of us, when we come before God sometimes, it, it's not about the relationship for us. It's, I got to have something I need to communicate to you and then I'm out of here. And God's saying, well, you don't want to sit here? You don't want to spend some time? This is a relationship. John ten twenty seven says, my sheep listen to my voice. I know them, and they follow me. We should be able to differentiate between the voice of God and all the other voices in this world. We should know his voice like a sheep knows the shepherd's voice. When he speaks, it should be clear that was different. That is God. And that's not going to happen if we don't spend time with him. If we never listen for his voice, if we're always the ones doing the talking, then it's no wonder we don't know how to hear his voice or we don't know which is his voice or we've never heard his voice. My argument is from a lot of people is you have heard his voice. You just don't know it yet. You haven't differentiated that one as his because it says that his sheep, he, we know he's the great shepherd. That's one of Jesus' titles. We are his sheep. We should know his voice. It takes time to sit and listen and hear. Same thing uh, I was explaining to a, uh, somebody who was having a baby recently, and I was like, yeah, the, there's a weird thing happens when you're a parent. Like, I know the different cries. Like, they're not even words. But like, when Kiara or Killian would cry, it's like, oh, they're just angry. Oh, they're just frustrated. Or the, oh, no, there's something wrong. Something hurts. I know that cry. Or the hungry cry. Like we, it's not even words and we can differentiate that. We should know how to hear the voice of God and know when he is speaking to us, when he's directing us to a certain thing or putting something on our heart or giving us a word for somebody else. Or There's so many ways he could speak. The Holy Spirit's roles often are, are, are described as speaking roles in our life. And yet very few of us leave the opportunity and leave the space for God to talk. I don't know if you've ever spent time in prayer where you just literally didn't talk. You just said, okay, God, this time is yours. Speak to me. So get alone. Be still. Don't be so concerned with exactly what to say. Talk and listen and understand how you come to God in prayer. This is a huge one. In both versions, there's two different versions in the Gospels of Jesus' model of prayer. He says it two different ways. I don't think it's the same instance both times. It's two, two different times where he, he gives them a model of prayer. 
But Jesus makes a point to help us understand how we come before the Father because the same in both of his versions, in both of his models of prayer, start in the exact similar, in a very similar way. Luke chapter 11, verse 2. Jesus said, this is how you should pray. Father, may your name be kept holy. May your kingdom come soon. And he continues on from there. And in Matthew chapter 6, verse 9, it says, pray like this. Our Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. You come before God in prayer as a son or a daughter to their father. That's a different relationship. That's a significant relationship. It's it's very different than how some of us view us coming before the Father. And, And there's so much work we need to do if we didn't have a great example, or even if we had a great example of an earthly father. We need to learn how to take that uh, description of Father and put it to the side as we uh, engage with God the Father because He's on a whole different level than any Father that's here on this earth. And so we can't attribute all of these characteristics from our earthly fathers to our heavenly fathers. Some of them will probably translate, especially if they were a good dad. But sometimes we also put those negative things on, like I would never have come to my dad to have a conversation, like never. So this is weird terminology for me. And I've had to re-script in my brain what it means to come before a father. But there's, a, there's an authority here that's different. You know, I, I think of really important people, like maybe the president or, or other people like that. And other people have to make these appointments and you know, do all this work to get in, into their presence. But their kids, they could just walk right up and just start talking to them. They're not intimidated by his title, by all of these other things. Because there's a relationship there. Something different about uh, a child to their father and the love a father has I, I, man since becoming a father man this has really transformed my perspective on a kid and, and viewing the ways uh, the ways that i view my heavenly father and the ways that i look at killian or kiara it's like wow i never really understood how they bring nothing of benefit to the table and yet my love couldn't be greater to them. And so often I think I have to perform for God and I have to do all these things and I have to say the right words and I have to act the right way in order to, to impress him. And it's like, man, yeah, Killian does some things that are impressive. He's really smart. He knows how to do things and he's funny and silly. But just him being him is enough for me. And I have to accept that God, our Father, feels that way a thousand percent more than I do that we just need to be us, and we get to walk into his presence like a child before their father. That's what prayer is. Some of us, and rightfully so, we want to be reverent before God, and we can do that while also, we can respect our earthly dads, but also acknowledge there's a relationship here that I get to interact with my dad in a different way than other people do, and our heavenly father is no different. Because even though in prayer you are conversing with the almighty God of creation, and Jesus gets to that later in his model of prayer, we come before him as loved children before a father. And so there are songs to me that impact me really greatly, like the more, we, uh, the more I seek him. And it's just this idea of God wrapping us in his arms, and we just sit in his presence, and just the reality that that's enough. 
I, one of my favorite things about my life right now is that uh, Killian loves to snuggle with me. And so he'll, just about every evening, he finds his way over and he'll sit next to me. We don't have to be doing anything. The TV doesn't have to be on. Nothing has to be happening. And he just loves to sit there. And I just love him to sit there. Last night it was Kiara. She just woke up and just that's all she wanted to do was sit there. And so we just sat there. And it was just such a beautiful thing. I was ministered to. She was ministered to. No words needed to be said. None of that needed to happen. And it's that dynamic is even more powerful with God. That we could just sit with him. That's why, in my opinion, the first steps to this or get alone and be still. Because when we can do that in the presence of God, it's powerful. Now, obviously, there's going to be moments in prayer where you are passionate and you are not necessarily still, and that's okay. But as a foundation for our prayer life, these are the encouragements I have toward you, the steps to developing a vibrant and passionate private prayer life. And while private prayer is the foundation of our prayer life and what it should be built on, there's definitely a place for corporate worship as well. Right after Jesus ascended to heaven after his resurrection, look at where we find the disciples. Acts chapter 1, verses 12 to 14. It says, Then the apostles returned to Jerusalem from the Mount of Olives, a distance of half a mile. When they arrived, they went to the upstairs room of the house where they were staying. Here are the names of those who were present, Peter, John, James, Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James, son of Alphaeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas, son of James. They all met together and were constantly united in prayer, along with Mary, the mother of Jesus, several other women, and the brothers of Jesus. So this is a prayer team, man. They are getting together and they are praying. There's a lot of uncertainty right now in this time of what's next, what's going to happen. This guy that we knew that we had this like, we knew there was something powerful about his life. None of them seemed to have got, really got it. Well, he died and then he was resurrected three days later and he spent 40 days walking around making himself known and teaching and doing all these things. So now we know beyond a shadow of a doubt this guy is God, but we just saw him ascend into heaven and we have no idea what's next. He just told us to wait. So what do we do? So what did they do? They gathered and they prayed. They were united in prayer because they didn't know what was next, but they wanted to see God move. They knew it was Him that was going to do something. So instead of just busying themselves with what they thought Jesus might want, which is what a lot of churches do, they just busy themselves with what they think God wants them to do. This is good stuff, so uh, obviously this makes sense that we would be doing this. Or having strategy meetings and setting out their own plans of like, yeah, you know what, this is going to be a great plan. This is going to work really well. This is how we're going to you know, take, advance the kingdom and take back Jerusalem and all, all these things they could have done. It says they were constantly united in prayer. Again, think back. All the ministry that Jesus walked away from to be in prayer. I know some would be critical of some churches to say, you could be doing so much more, and yet they're devoting themselves to prayer. Maybe it's just for a season or for a time. They say, you know what, we're kind of shutting down a lot of the ministries, and we're going to spend time with God. We need, we need His presence. And I respect that tremendously, because activity does not necessarily mean that we're honoring God, just because we're being active. See, this corporate prayer idea became a main staple of the early church. Acts 2.42 
says all the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. So a question that arises out of this, out of how the early church was birthed, do we pray with and for others in our faith community? When was the last time you prayed for somebody in our church family? And when was the last time you prayed with somebody from our church family? It's much easier just to pray for them, but to make the intentional effort to gather together and pray together. And another, to me, almost bigger question is, how many of us are devoted to praying with others in our faith community? This says this is a huge part of the, the early church, was they were devoted to praying together. They devoted themselves. Now, that, that's, that's a big word, devoted. Some of you spouses, I hope all of you spouses, are devoted to your spouse, which means there is nothing that can drive you away, distract you, or, or chase you out of that relationship because there's a devotion to that. So what is this, this is saying about the early believers is there was nothing that could distract them or take them away from this. These four things were, were things they were never going to compromise on. This was who they were. James 5.16 says, Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. Notice here it doesn't say the earnest prayer of the paid professionals. The earnest prayer of just the elders. This is the earnest prayer of a righteous person. Any of us walking with Jesus has power in prayer. Because again, we come as children before the Father. A good father doesn't just love their children that have really good titles. They love all their kids regardless of titles or uh, success in, in, in the world. They love them because they love them for who they are. And so that's why in the past, some of the things we've done is uh, after a service, I've just told you, stand where you are and others will gather around you and pray for you because there's nothing special or magical about the prayers of the elders or the pastor that is any different than those of you who walk with Jesus. The prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. And there are a number of righteous people in our church, who love Jesus and walk with Him. And honestly, it encourages me often to know that some of you are praying for me and my family on a regular basis. Man, that, that's powerful to me to know that we have righteous people praying for us. And our family, I know, is blessed significantly because of that. And the, the ministry we can have to each other that we are denying ourselves by not gathering in corporate worship or corporate prayer, to me, it's, it's a missed opportunity when we don't gather. We cannot achieve authentic biblical community without corporate prayer. If all we ever do is gather and eat meals together, if all we ever, ever do is gather and have conversations and do Bible studies and all of that together, we're missing out if we don't gather and pray together and pray corporately. If you haven't joined someone or a group to pray together in community, 
I highly encourage you to do so. We have a handful of prayer meetings that, are, that happen on a regular basis. I encourage you to, if you can, if your schedule allows, join one of those. If not, let's start one. Start one that matches people with your schedule or, or your availability or your situations and talk to me. We'll make it happen. If there's one thing I love to do, it's make prayer, prayer happen. And we'll, we'll gather some people. We'll, we'll figure out a, a way to make that happen because I think it's so valuable when we gather as a family to pray for each other. The Alliance core value. I don't know if you know this, but as part of the Christian Missionary Alliance, they have their own set of core values, and one of them is prayer is the primary work of God's people. I love that one. It's very clear, very simple, and very to the point. Prayer is the primary work of God's people. Not missional stuff overseas, not giving to a local church, not being a part of a local church, not preaching or all these other things that we might want to put as, oh, that's our, my primary work. Prayer is the primary work of God's people. So is it primary for you? As you look at the way you use your time, your energy, is prayer primary for you? Or does it even fall in the top 10 of priority list for you? If it's not priority, devote yourself to prayer this year. See what would happen if you made it a priority, or the priority, the primary work of whatever your name is. That's the primary work of Bruce, is prayer. Learn to pray fervently and passionately before the Father, both in the quietness of your own space, whatever that space looks like, and with your brothers and sisters in Christ, that you would be a person of prayer. See what would happen if you're willing to follow Paul's encouragement in 1 Thessalonians 5.17. Never stop praying. Never stop praying. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you that you've invited us into this relationship, invited us into this thing we call prayer, that it's, it's like the more we spend in it, the more we want of it. So God, I pray for each and every person here, anybody who's watching this morning, that you would lead us to a place where we would hunger and thirst after time with you, where we would feel the weight if we're not spending time with you or we look forward to getting away again and being in your presence to quieting ourselves or being alone, that we have that desperate dependence upon you to the point where we desperately need to get alone with you again, time after time after time, every day, that we would need that time with you, that we would wake up earlier or stay up later or take time in the middle of our day and we would make space for this as you did Jesus. As we look at your life, we recognize you in, made it, you were intentional into making prayer primary for you. Lord, teach us to pray because if we would learn to pray like you prayed, this world would be a different place. Our community would be a different place our neighbors would be different. Our coworkers would be different. Everything would change. 
So teach us to pray. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Have a great week.